Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is absolutely remarkable, and she went from couch potato to endurance athlete and lost 100 pounds or 45 kilos along the way. We cover a lot in this episode, from the mental hurdle of bathing suits and body image issues to divorce and becoming an endurance athlete. This is not a how-to on how to lose weight. You need to go see your doctor for this, but this is a remarkable story of how one woman got off the couch and then became an endurance athlete. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Gold. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Um, thanks for joining us. Whereabouts in America are you? I'm in San Diego, California. Ah, nice and sunny. Yes, I love it. Have you been here? No, never been to the States. It's on the list. Um, I sort of did – most Australians sort of do Europe first and Asia and then we sort of head over to the States. So I've, well, I did never Europe say I've done first and South America, so I definitely want to find my way over to your next woods. Australia, you should. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Just don't come if you don't like spiders. You're fine. <laughs> I lived in Florida. There were lots of insects there. Oh, really? Oh, that's all good. Kinds. <laughs> that's good. Now – You've got a really interesting story because you lost a lot of weight and then became a, an endurance athlete. So what what's the definition of an endurance athlete? Well, you might look that up on the mental charts in terms of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I use that term loosely because I'm yeah. not winning any prizes at any events. I'm usually yeah. in one of the last groups to finish, but I grit it out. And it's really a way to challenge yourself doing things you didn't think you could do and going farther and harder and sometimes higher than you believed you could. And for example, I think you folks have Spartan races in Australia too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you look at the longer distances, like the Beast, which is the equivalent of a half marathon in terms of distance, because mm-hmm. you've got all those walls and hills and other obstacles, that would be, I would consider that an endurance event. Whereas just your 5K road race would not be an endurance event. It would be for me. <laughs> I'd crawl over that finish line. That's great. Um, so how did you start on this whole I want to become an endurance athlete uh, road, excuse the pun? Well, there's a funny story involved with that because I was not – I was one of the kids chosen last for any team in school, not an actual athlete. I did some swimming, you know, just mm-hmm. swimming laps to get in shape in my 20s and 30s and I you know, did some weightlifting, but that was about it. And a little bit of hiking too, but in the normal sense, not the peak bagging sense. Mm-hmm. But I um, had lost a whole bunch of weight, mostly through changing my eating and mm-hmm. uh, getting off the couch mainly. Mm-hmm. And then I found it was really, really, really hard to keep it off. I mean, anyone can tell you, I think that losing weight's a lot more glamorous than maintaining weight loss. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> Well, you, you get all the, the feedback from, oh, you look wonderful, and oh, you've lost so much weight, and you get to buy mm. new clothes, and mm. you know you have a whole different perspective when you look in the mirror. I find losing weight to be easier than maintaining, because maintaining weight doesn't have an end to it. 
It's just something you have to keep doing. And then when the things that got you to lose weight don't work anymore because your body's adapted, you kind of have to think, well, what's next? And right around that time that I was trying to figure out how I was going to keep the pounds off, Mm. I was volunteering at a charity event. And it was an obstacle course race. Mm-hmm. And they put me at the finish line. And so I mm-hmm. got to see all the people come across. And these were folks who were old or young, heavy, thin. Some were dancing across the finish line. Some were crawling across the finish line. And some of them were in groups. And I thought, well, that looks like fun. I should check mm-hmm. that out. And that's mm-hmm. how I got into it. And I realized, you know, when I was uh, – checking this out that hey i can have some fun with this i can meet some new people training which is also kind of fun and i won a free entry to a spartan race through a facebook group and so i said well that's the universe's way of telling me you're going to do this thing so i picked a race seven months out wow and i spent the next half year training for it mm-hmm. and in doing that i realized that training and fueling for training So you have enough energy to get over the six or eight foot walls. You have enough energy to run up hills. It's a whole lot more interesting to me and motivating than just endless dieting and exercising. Mm. So after I completed that event, I set a goal for another one. I just kept going. And that is how I became an endurance athlete. Endurance athlete. So I want to bring you back to a, a comment that you made and I want to be very careful here, and especially as someone that's got her own uh, weight issues, um, you said it was easy to lose weight or easier to lose weight than maintaining it. I've always, for, and I have medical reasons behind it, um, struggled to lose weight and maintain any any weight loss. Um, what did you, and I want to be clear to the listeners, this is not um, medical advice or anything like that. This is a, a conversation about what happened with and, and worked for one person. But what what did you change about your eating and, and um, what worked for you? To lose weight or to maintain it? To lose. To lose. Well, before I decided I had to get healthy again, mm-hmm. I had – gone up to 233 pounds. I don't know what the metric equivalent of that is, but it's I'll have to Google it. (laughs) (laughs) It is heavy. And it came about because I was spending all my time sitting and Mm -hmm. eating. And my ex-husband and I would sit there and we'd eat cookies and junk food and watch TV. And that's all we did. And that's how I gained the weight. Mm -hmm. And then when it when he told me that the marriage was going to end, not in those words, when I realized that there was a divorce in my very near future, I figured I'd better do something or I'm going to have a heart attack or a stroke. Mm. Because the added stress of and sedentary lifestyle, added stress, poor eating can mm-hmm. really lead to health issues. And just having a divorce in there was going to be potentially catastrophic. So I Mm -hmm. started going back to the pool to swim laps again, Mm because that's an exercise that is a non-impact exercise, unless you bang your elbows against the end of the pool, which I've done on occasion. But it's generally considered a no-impact exercise. So Mm -hmm. the water gives you buoyance, and being, you know, 100 pounds overweight isn't as big a deal in a pool than it is if you're running, you know, on, on pavement, for example. 
So I worked my way back up to swimming three times a week, a mile at a time. Again, I don't know what the metric equivalent is. I apologize for that. But, well, I've done um, the metric equivalent in the kilograms. It's it, I did a quick Google. It's 105 kilos, but I don't know what a mile is. I think it's 2.3 well, or something. Well, the pool is 25 meters. That I know. And I yeah. did about 66 laps. It's about a mile. So I worked okay. my way back up to that. Mm-hmm. And I found that because I was active again, my body started to crave healthier foods. So I was having more fruit, more vegetables, and just cutting out the cookies and the junk food. And it's easier to do when you're solo than when you are in a you know family unit. I'll say mm. that. But mm. that was the first 33 pounds that I lost. Was just so you started moving first and then the diet came? Started to came. move first, exactly. Because okay. I knew that being stationary, being sedentary was a big part of my problem. How did you overcome the mental hurdle um, of getting into a bathing suit and going to a swimming pool, public swimming pool? Oh, that was hard. Mm. Nobody likes getting into bathing suits. No one likes trying on bathing suits. Mm. I think if I remember correctly that I had a suit that I felt comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And suits are stretchy, so I could still make it fit. (laughs) And I didn't buy it at my thinnest either. I bought it Mm -hmm. when I was already heavier and this was just extra pounds stressing the seams. But I made it work. And the pool was part of our uh, community where I live, like a a subdivision development. Mm -hmm. So I would go at the times that that you didn't have other people there. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go on the weekends when it would be everyone there. I'd go like mid-morning, say, Mm -hmm. when everyone had gone to work. And there might only be one or two other people there also, you know, swimming laps and not caring about the person in the next lane. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I mean, mm. dressing rooms and swimsuits, just not a fun experience. And, you know, no. even losing the weight, I still don't like it. That's interesting. Is it because, why don't you why don't you like it? Is it because you're still in that? headspace of where you were in terms of your physical appearance mentally or is it that you're just so like why (laughs) well I don't I don't see that person that was 233 pounds Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. when you're looking at a full-length mirror Mm. and a swimsuit especially if you're in a fitting room which are never beautifully lit you're Mm. only seeing you're only looking at your flaws and I think that's something a lot of people do Mm. Women especially, but not just women. Mm. I, th- I think we tend to be our own worst critics. And that's what we see when we look at ourselves. And swimsuits just show more of you than other garments do. Thank you. My husband just passed me a coffee. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um, yes, I can. I mean, I avoid them completely. No. And yeah, so I can... I can relate, but I can also relate to the bravery of going to a public pool in a bathing suit when you are feeling that um, unhappy with how, how with how you are. I was just unhappy with life in general. Really? And the idea of being in the pool and the zen feeling of slicing mm. through the water, there's, there's a calmness to that. Mm. You're not thinking about how your body looks at that moment. You're thinking about how it feels. 
and your next stroke and whether you're going to do a backstroke or a breaststroke on your next lap, whether mm. you're going to use the kickboard or not use the kickboard. So those were the thoughts that would go through my mind as I, you know, as I'd be swimming laps. It was very common. When did you start bringing in other things other than swimming into your uh, workout regime? It was when I left Florida, which is where mm -hmm. I was living when I was married. And that was where my ex-husband and his family needed to be. My family were all on the West Coast of the U.S. And I decided a silver lining to the marriage ending was going to be where I wanted to live for years and hadn't thought mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. But I'd always wanted to live in San Diego, so I was going to make that happen. Good but when I moved here, I didn't have a pool. So I started out doing uh, hill walks. I wasn't running at that point, but I would walk as fast as I could up as many hills and stairs in the neighborhood for about 30, 45 minutes, five mornings a week. Mm -hmm. And that was more pounds coming off. Mm -hmm. And then I hit the dreaded plateau. Which I think almost the anyone who's, almost, <laughs> almost anyone who's ever had to lose weight has experienced that, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. And then I cut way the heck back on carbs. I mm -hmm. mean, just I couldn't tell you what the counts were at this point, but it was a whole mm -hmm. different way of of eating that mm -hmm. was just very protein focused and very very low carb, and that got and me that past the. And was that doctor approved? Like, where did you get this diet from? <sighs> it was a doctor approved diet. Mm -hmm. And I did talk to, you know, my own doctor about it. And she said, no, you'll be fine. She mainly wanted me to lose weight because I was pre-diabetic. So, mm -hmm. and that's not a healthy place to be. No. So you're running, well, walking up all these uh -huh, hills. Walking up all the hills, walking <laughs> up all the stairs. And then I um, found the place I wanted to settle in San Diego. When I moved there, this goes back to January 2010. So we're talking 11 years now. When I moved there, I didn't know anyone in the city. I didn't have work. I didn't know where I wanted to live. So I rented a centrally located place mm -hmm. and started to explore different areas. Mm -hmm. And found an area that I really liked and a community that had a pool and had a gym and uh, trails nearby for walking and running and bike riding. So that's where I've been since November of 2010. How was that stepping outside of your comfort zone in terms of being in a relationship? You do a lot of new activities together and then sort of having to step outside of your comfort zone and find these places and do these activities as an individual. Did you find that as a challenge or was it so liberating that you were just like, this is my me time? Well, my ex and I didn't do many more activities than watch TV, go out to dinner, mm -hmm. watch more TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't really – we did travel, you know, and had mm -hmm. fun traveling. The highlights of that were always restaurants. So – you know, doing the walks and the swim, that's solitary, and I didn't mind that at all. But mm -hmm. what really worked for me is when I got into obstacle course race training, and mm -hmm. I trained with a group and a class and a coach. And then I had this community of people who were supportive mm -hmm. and sharing ideas and sharing tips and training together. That added a whole other element because suddenly I was, you know, on my own. So I had that, 
that support network. How long did it take you to lose the weight? I started in summer of 2009, like July, Mm -hmm. August 2009. Mm -hmm. And I hit my goal weight by February, March timeframe, 2012. So that's three years. Almost three years. Yeah. Yeah. The plateau in there was about six, seven months easily. Wow. How did you stay motivated? It was brutal. Mm. I mean, I knew I wanted to lose more weight. I wanted to feel good. Um, And I just kept at it and kept changing up. Well, let me try this. Let me try that. And it was the, you know, the high protein, ultra low carb that really worked. Mm-hmm. And the carbs were mostly, you know, fruits and vegetables as opposed to grains and breads breads, and sweets. Mm-hmm. How much have you lost in total, can I ask? It was about 100 pounds. I don't even know how much that is. Hang on. I'm going to do a quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, need, a, I need a Jamie off um, <laughs> Joe Rogan. <laughs> Well, darn Americans. <laughs> I know. It's such a weird – the rest of the world use metric. It's so simple. It's in lots of tens. It mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And then uh, – anyway, uh, 45 kilos. Okay. Now, That's, if I were in Britain, wouldn't I be saying stones? Don't they use – They use the metric system, but they still refer to stone. It's weird. They kind of so use both systems. we're not the only systems. weirdos. No. <laughs> And most people would say that us Aussies are too, but we do use the um, the metric system. Like a lot the rest easier of the world, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I've noted. Um, I've noticed some of the military. Um, like if you're listening to other podcasts and they have military people on, they mm-hmm. they talk at distances in the metric. And I have heard. I'm not 100 percent sure that a lot of the military over there now have converted over to metric because of the coalition forces. So they understand. Maybe. They can communicate maybe there was there was one disastrous uh space exploration where half the team was using imperial the other half was using metric and i think they crashed a rover or something like that not surprised me (laughs) (laughs) so you've lost 45 kilos 100 pounds which is incredible that's incredible um so what's what is the, how many is it Spartan that you're doing or just different types of endurance racing? Well, I started with the Spartans, and mm-hmm. that was because I won a free race entry. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. Now, Spartan has what they call a trifecta, mm-hmm. and that's when you're doing three different races. Oops, hang on a second. Three different races of different lengths in the same year. Mm-hmm. And... I you know just just plan to do the sprint, which is the baby one. That's like a five k. I did the five k. I really enjoyed it, and then I had to do the super, which is kind of like a ten k, fifteen k, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Well, then I had two thirds of a trifecta. I had to do the whole thing. So, and while I was doing this, and I kept training for the longer lengths and, you know, staying out longer, training harder, I also discovered through the uh, the social media groups where you share ideas and tips and find roommates for races, I found out about another endurance series and then another one, and it's kind of, you know, spiraled from there. 
And now so my focus from- is more on endurance hiking than it is right. on the uh, event types. My, my plan is to summit Kilimanjaro, which is one wow. of the highest peaks in the world. Yeah. And so I'm training with increasingly longer, harder hikes here. Mm-hmm. And COVID prevented me from going last December, which was the plan. That was going to be for my 60th birthday. Wow. So now it'll have to be for my 61st birthday. So. Terrific. So bef- you haven't climbed Kilimanjaro yet. So what's the longest endurance race that you've done or hike that you've done at the moment? The longest hike was a uh, 22-mile highest peak in what we call the lower 48 states. You know, America has this big chunk of real estate from New York to California and mm-hmm. from Washington State to Florida. That's the continental U.S., 48 of mm-hmm. the 50 states. The tallest mountain in the 48 contiguous states is called Mount Whitney, and mm-hmm. it's in California in the eastern Sierras. And I hiked that one with two other gals. And that took us, thought it was going to take about 14 to 16 hours. It ended up taking us about 22 hours because I'm just just very tentative when it comes to some of the really harder footing on that. Mm. So I was the one who made us take longer. So that's 35 kilometers, and you're also dealing with the elevation as well. Yes, it goes up to 14,000, about 500 feet. So when you're saying that you um, were a little not as sure-footed as the others, was it? what was the terrain like? Was it like a sheer drop-off that you're dealing with? Well, there was a sheer drop-off on one side. Oh, my goodness. And on the other side, it was all rocky you know, outcroppings. And then the footing underneath was very uneven rocks. It's like the rocks would come down from the side and just sit there and then stay there. And it's hard to use hiking poles for balance because they would get caught between those rocks. So it was very slow going both ways, like the last two miles to the summit, the last two miles from the summit. The rest of it I didn't have much trouble with, and I didn't mind the endurance part of it. It mm-hmm. was more the, am I going to fall off the, the cliffs of insanity here? So, and I didn't, thank goodness. And I so is that, what the hi- Sorry, is that what the hiking poles are for, balance? balance? I always wondered why they use them. Okay. I mean, some people use them for momentum too. Mm. For me, it's, it's more about balance. Okay. Particularly on steep, uneven terrain. Would you ever do the run, like running, the endurance ultra marathons or anything like that? No, no. No. I did, um, I did two marathons, one road, one trail. Mm -hmm. And running was starting to create knee issues. And so I said, let me try for the hiking goal this time. Maybe I'll get back to running. But the more I tried to train to hit speed, uh, records for myself, the more pain I was experiencing. So typically how many people, you said you climbed that mountain with, um, with t- a couple of girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So typically how many people, is it the same two that you're usually going out with? or well, Right now it's one person. When COVID mm-hmm. began, several of us, probably a group of four or five of us, were planning to do a longer hike at one of the higher altitude peaks a few hours away. We would carpool there and share hotel rooms, but then COVID hit. Mm. So that went, you know, 
that we just put a stop to that. Now, mm. being outdoors and hiking is fairly safe, especially if you keep your distance. But mm. I only do it with one other person at a time now, because it's harder to keep your distance when there's two or, when there's three or more people. Mm-hmm. But if you if there's just the two of you, and my hiking buddy is also training for Kilimanjaro, and she is also somebody who's at home most of the time. She's retired. I work from home. So we're not exposed to all of the risks that somebody who's working at a store or a hospital or some other busy setting is exposed to. So we feel you know, fairly comfortable hiking with each other. But when mm. you start introducing other people to that, you know, it, it could feel less safe. I hadn't even considered that aspect of things with, with COVID. We've, um, we don't have it as bad as what you guys have over there. So, yeah, it's an, it's an added, added element. So when you're doing um, these endurance hikes, mm-hmm what's your support team look like? Are you carrying all your food with you? Are you meeting? Do you have caches along the route? Like how does that work in terms of the support team? We're carrying everything. Everything. Now, when I do Kilimanjaro, which is a multi-day hike, Mm -hmm. then you have porters that carry everything that you don't need for the day. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to be, when we get to the point where we're both vaccinated, Mm -hmm then we'll start doing some of these longer hikes where we're out there for a much longer period of time than we are now. Then we'll be carrying more weight, but each of us will carry what we need in terms of water and food and snacks for ourselves for that day. Mm -hmm. But we won't be sleeping out. It's not backpacking that we're doing. So what's what sort of the typical backpack weight then that you're taking on? Because water weighs a lot. I mean, it's a kilo for every water liter. Does, water is the heaviest element. And then, you know, the rain gear and um, snacks and all of that. It's I'm carrying about 14 pounds, about half this of that. This is where I'm Googling again. It's, it's <laughs> roughly a two to one. Okay. So, okay. So it's roughly around, I think, six six kilos, seven kilos that you carry. Something in that range. Mm. That's not too bad, though. No. That adds up, though, when you're getting tired and you're sort of... Yes, everything adds up when you're tired. And my balance goes to hell. When I'm tired, I do not have the same level of balance, agility, but it takes a lot to get me there. So is that just because... Why do you think that the balance, when you get tired, is that just a... I don't know. My feet don't work as well. I'm more apt to stumbling. I created my own hashtag as hashtag trail fail. And hashtag <laughs> trail fail tends to happen when I'm tired. And my yeah. feet are just not as coordinated as they were in the morning. <laughs> and if I'm stressed, if it's a really stressful type of hike with mm-hmm. a lot of that super uneven footing, a lot of, you know, drop offs, it's like uh, endurance doesn't bother me. I'll go like a like a locomotive, mm-hmm. but get me on a really difficult track, and I'm worried. Then I'm a lot more tense, and and then I get you know then it, then it catches up to me. Then I'm more likely to stumble. What's the, apart from Kilimanjaro? What are your goals now? What do you want to well, achieve? That's a big one. 
Mm. And I focus on one goal at a time. Mm. I don't know what I'll set after that, but what I've pretty much decided is, you know, I turned 60 a few months ago. And there was a Mm -hmm. time when I was just dreading that. And then I thought, you know, I could be a pretty cool 60-something. And I'm going to strive for that. I'm going to just be – I'm going to thrive. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy myself. I enjoy my career. I'm a wellness design consultant. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to link all of my athletic pursuits with my professional focus on how your home – can support all of your well-being uh, activities from mm-hmm. the bedroom where you sleep to the kitchen where you fuel to the bathroom where you uh, clean up afterward to where you store your gear so it's easy to grab on the way out. So when you say that you're a wellness for those spaces design consultant, mm-hmm. What's the practicality of that? Do you go into someone's home or are you, like how do you facilitate that process? Well, I do it virtually. Even mm-hmm. before the pandemic, I did a lot of consulting by phone as opposed mm-hmm. to in person uh, because that mm-hmm. would enable me to consult for somebody on the other side of the world, theoretically. Although I've done mm-hmm. it more on the other side of the country or the other side of the state (laughs) or town. But I don't like spending hours and hours driving back and forth to places. So I like to do things by phone. I also do a lot of articles. Mm -hmm. And I have a weekly design blog I've been writing since 2008 uh, called Mm -hmm. Gold Notes. And I wrote a book that came out a few months ago called Wellness by Design, which is about, you know, optimizing your home for health, fitness, and happiness. And so there are ways to consult where you're not doing it one-on-one, but you're providing insights for people where they might hear this podcast and say, that was a really good idea. I hadn't thought of that. But now that you think about it, when I try to go to sleep, I'm just uncomfortable. Or, you know, my kitchen is such a drag, I can't stand cooking in there, so I'm not making healthy meals for myself. Mm. How did you... Um, get into that space. I was going to say fall into it, but it sounds like it wasn't. You didn't fall into it. You you actively pursued it. But how did you get into that space? It's a very uh, niche area, I would have imagined. I was inspired by my grandmother originally, and that was looking at how a home can support you from the standpoint of aging, because falls could be really dangerous for older people. And when mm. I say older, I mean older than I am. Uh, So if you have a fall in the bathroom, which is not uncommon, getting in and out of a tub, for example, Mm. that can land you in the hospital. That can land you in hospice. So Mm. it it was her experiences that inspired me to look at how you can create homes that are safer and healthier Mm. for seniors. And then I realized that some of the tips that I was sharing with older clients could benefit people of all ages like making your the backs of your cabinets easier to get into. And if you want to make fewer trips during a pandemic, say, fewer shopping trips, well, having a, being able to access what's in the back of your cabinets as easily as what's in the front can be a very beneficial thing. And just having a more organized kitchen, for example, mm-hmm. having appliances that help you cook healthier food, of course, mm-hmm. that started to become helpful when I was starting to eat healthier. 
And just, you know, in the beginning, when I was sitting on the couch with my ex-husband, I was still a, a kitchen and bath designer at that point and still looking at bathroom accessibility, but not as much on the how your kitchen can help you be healthier side of things. When I started my own wellness journey, that became more apparent. Let me give you a, an example. If you have tile floors in your kitchen, which are pretty popular in the U.S., I don't know if they're as popular in Australia. They are, yeah. And you're standing on those floors making a holiday meal, say, or just doing meal prepping for the week, you can feel the ache from that hardness underfoot just reverberating through your feet, your legs, your hips, your back. And Mm. I felt that, you know, when we were – in Florida and I had, you know, all that extra weight on me and, would, mm. you know, be standing there for a long time. An anti-fatigue mat was a game changer. Oh, I always wear runners, like sneakers. Yeah, well, they, in a sense, have cushioning inside them too. Mm. But I don't like wearing my shoes inside my home. Mm. I like to take off my outdoor shoes when I come in mm. and just put on indoor you know, slippers or shoes that don't ever go Mm. out. But you're right that Mm. a a shoe that has a lot of cushion in it is going to, in a sense, serve the same type of purpose. What do you find is a common theme amongst your clients in regards to um, issues that you find that you're solving? Is it accessibility to the back of that pantry or is it the food prepping aspect of things is there a common theme that you're sort of coming across the most common theme that i come across is i can't stand being in my kitchen it is so dark and cluttered i don't even want to be in there much less cook or entertain there that's the most Mm. common thing that i hear so what's your solution to that then well, there's a few. Or do they have to pay? People have to pay for that. <laughs> no, not your, not your listeners, Fiona, <laughs> and not the readers of my Wellness by Design book either. That's that's the consulting that I share for everyone. You know, there is a few simple tricks. The first and the one that's the easiest is pull out anything off the countertops that doesn't need to be there that you are not using on a regular basis. You might have a waffle maker, for example, sitting out there, or you Mm. might have a fondue pot sitting out there, and you only use them once or twice a year. They're taking up space. Then Mm. there's always that area of the countertop where everyone's papers collect. Mm. Do you have that in your kitchen? Yeah, it's the the (laughs) kitchen table. I I have yet to take it off every mealtime. I have yet to be in a client's (laughs) kitchen where you didn't have that. And it's unhealthy. Mm. It's a fire hazard if you have gas, you know, gas range or electric range. And it's just adds to that feeling of I have to deal with this stuff. It's, it's, it creates a bit of anxiety. So you mm. find a different place for that. And then you go through your drawers and your, and your cabinets. And do you have utensils and pots and pans that are just not in good condition anymore? Or you have three of one thing that you got at a shower you know, a housewarming gifts, and you only need one. You donate mm. the others. You mm. toss things that aren't in good condition. You move things out of your key work zones. And those are the zones where you store food, the zones where you cook food, and the zones where you prep or clean up. 
Those should only have the essential items that you need to do those tasks. So when do you, you still meal prep now? Pardon? Do you still meal prep now? I do. And, and sometimes I don't do it on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. especially in the summer months where I'm really having more uh, fruits and vegetables and salads. And I like to make that, you know, just fresh each day. But, you know, during the, the colder months, I'll make up soup to have for the week, you know, vegetable mm. soup, say. So that's prepped the week, you know, a few days before, and then I can have it, you know, cook from the slow cooker for the week. How did you go, how did you change that? And I understand you were saying I started exercising and the food followed, but how did you change that um, mindset of a sedentary behavior to now I'm going to be food prepping and not eating rubbish sitting on the couch watching TV? The, the mindset change came after I lost the weight because when I lost mm. the weight, the focus was on losing the weight. And then mm. again, when I lost it, the challenge became how, do, how the heck do I keep these pounds off? Because I mm. had gained and lost in the past and I didn't want to go back to that because mm. at that time I was just turning 50. And, you know, then my very early 50s, and it gets harder as you get older. I don't think mm. you're close to where I am yet, but it doesn't I'm, get I'm easier. Not, but I, it's just still not easy. <laughs> it does It does not get easier. And mm. I had weight issues in my teens and then again, you know, in my 30s and, mm. you know, 40s. So at first it was, well, how do I lose the pounds? And then it mm. was, how do I keep the weight off? And that's when I found the endless dieting endless exercise focus just was not motivating me and I Mm. couldn't motivate myself to work out as hard as I apparently needed to to stay Mm. at a healthy weight and when I discovered you know that I was going to do an obstacle course race and I won an entrance and then my mindset shifted from dieting and exercising losing and maintaining weight to Mm. completing this athletic event being an athlete being, you know, training and fueling as opposed to dieting and exercise. I found that empowering. I found it exciting. I love the idea of myself as an athlete, as opposed Mm. to as a 50 something woman trying to keep the pounds away. It just, it it was an image of myself that really gave me confidence, really gave, that really challenged me. And I could keep challenging myself in new and different ways. You know, during that time, I did, you know, a, a road marathon, a trail marathon, three other trail races, two military-style endurance events, like six or seven obstacle course races, a triathlon, um, the Mount Whitney Summit and all the training for that. There's something really, really empowering about seeing yourself in a new way that shifts your thinking and shifts your your focus. And that's what has done it for me. Have you had others that have joined you in this along your journey? Have you inspired others as well? You know, I've had people come up and tell me that I inspire them, which I always find mm-hmm. really just wonderful. And it's why I like to share my story because if one other person says, you know, she was – you know, 40-something couch potato, 100 pounds overweight, and now she's climbing, you know, mountains and planning on Kilimanjaro. I could do that too. There's nothing exceptional about me. There's Mm. nothing about 
my life or my weight loss journey that someone else could not do in their own way. It may not be mountains if you live in Florida and you can't travel, say, but it could be something else. There are even wheelchair athletes, you know, Paralympians, mm. people mm. who are making things work for them. Mm. So I think it's finding what works for you, being inspired by your own life and journey. But one of mm. the women who has come up to me in the past at trade shows, you know, that I've been at said, I have been so inspired by you. And now she's training to do a long trek of her own. And she's mm. about you know, the same wanna, age range. I want to be careful in regards to losing weight. Anyone can do it because... I, I want to be careful with that statement because I understand what you're what you're saying mm. in terms of you know I did it. So I, I'm not can minimizing do it, the are, difficulty of it. Yeah, and I think that that's important. To there are people <laughs> out there like myself that's been on a bloody diet and exercise <laughs> thing since I've been twelve, and it you know whatever. <laughs> so there are people that do struggle with it, and there are people that just need that little inspiration and mm -hmm. that motivation, and then can then can get off. And I think it's a matter of finding that your individual happy medium and what what exactly. makes you happy, rather than a a figure on a scale. Exactly. A and you know scale. what? Yeah. After I hit my weight goal, the scale broke. I've never replaced it. I wonder whether or not that was um, the universe saying something rather oh, than I that. think so. But yeah. I, I want to clarify something because I know how difficult it can be to lose weight. Yeah. And I know how when you get to that point where nothing you're doing is helping you lose and you're stuck in the same spot for months and months, yeah. how frustrating that is because I've been there more than once. What yeah. I'm saying anyone can do is not that anyone can lose weight but that anyone can find what works for them in terms of their inspiration. Yeah. To have an idea in your own mind of what will inspire you, what will motivate you. And everyone's is going to be different. I met quite a few people, you know, older women, older men who had lost large amounts of weight doing these, you know, endurance events and it worked mm. for them. Does it work for you ongoingly? Not necessarily. That's why I've tried, you know, different things. And even at this point, you know, once I summit Kilimanjaro, I'm not going to say, well, gee, I have to do Everest next. That doesn't feel like a good fit for me. I'm going to say, what can I do now to keep thriving? Mm. What can I do now that will fit where I am in my life and keep me healthy? It's a very different mentality yes which is fantastic yeah it's a positive yeah. focus it's not on yeah. losing it's on gaining health gaining wellness gaining peace of mind gaining mm. confidence again that's going to be different for different people what's worked for me again is having that uh athletic mind frame jamie it's interesting listening to you speak it's been very much a this is what I needed. This is this is um, what inspired me and motivated me in terms of the endurance and mm -hmm. and so forth. You've never once, which is terrific, said I wanted to prove them wrong or I wanted to do it. It was never external in terms of that motivation. It was all in terms of for you, and it needs to be, which is fan fantastic. There is a part of me that goes to do you ever see the ex husband and. <laughs> 
I did, okay, and I was not at my best when I did either. And there's no joy in that. Mm. But he's heavy now, and I'm not. Mm. I'm happy now, and I hope he is. Mm. I don't bear him ill will. And in fact, the shakeup when it happened probably saved my life. Mm. Because if I would have continued on in that way, I might not be sitting here today talking to you. It's a very positive outlook in terms of what was and is. I mean, divorce is never easy, I would imagine, um, having never gone through one. But I could imagine how emotionally uh, difficult it can be. But then to have such a positive outlook, looking back at it and saying this was, this was the shake-up that I needed and this ultimately mm-hmm. saved my life is an incredible silver lining to to look back in a challenging time and, and have that Definitely. as a takeaway. And I encourage anyone who has going through a divorce or has been through a divorce to own what's yours too. Because mm. I can look back and say, you know what? He said I wasn't present. And mm. he was right. I wasn't present. I was focused mm. on the future and a happier time and place. Mm. And that was consuming me. And the lesson I took from that was whatever is going on in my life, happy or not, stressful or not, I'm going to be present for it. I'm going to be in that moment. And you could find a sense of calm there and knowing that, yes, you will get through. But if all of your mental energy is geared towards stress and worry, Mm then that makes everything harder on the health front. So that was something I took from that experience. I'm going to change that. Well, I think that sounds like you did that very quickly because when you were talking about swimming, you were talking about the feeling of cutting through the water mm-hmm. and being present. And Yes. So it was... It was the decade that preceded that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was. It was all the times before where... I was, well, I can't wait until this happens, until that happens, until we can move, until, you know, until we're in a different city. I I didn't really Mm. like where we were living and the economy was in a shambles. And, Mm. you know, I was spending far more money than I was bringing in because of the Great Recession and just not a good time. So Mm. all of my mental energy was focused on what's next. And I was neglecting myself in the present. I was neglecting my then-husband in the present. And I realized that was one of my takeaways is he was right. I wasn't present. I'm committing to be present. And the other thing I realized was I was a workaholic. When I, even when I wasn't working, I was thinking about work. Mm. And now I can shut it all off on a Friday evening and then put it back, you know, get back into work mode Monday morning. And if I want to take an afternoon off because I work for myself, I could do that too. Has so, that been a conscious, a conscious, conscience, conscious? Mm-mm. Oh, I can't even speak. I haven't finished the coffee yet. Um, <laughs> it's not our regular place. It's uh, not as good. So um, <laughs> Australians have treat coffee like wine. It's if, if you don't know that. Um <laughs> Starbucks failed in Australia. Let's just say that. Um, I completely lost my train of thought, but it seems like it's a very easy. Oh, my question was, is it a conscience thing that you're 
I'm physically going to switch off from work now. Do you still have to be very aware of that, that you're doing that? Or is it just an automatic thing? It's Friday, I'm switching it off. Well, it's become what a coaching friend of mine calls an automation now. What Mm -hmm. I do to make it very intentional is on my iPhone, I switch off the email account. So Mm -hmm. I don't even see the email coming in because it could come in all weekend. Mm -hmm. But I'm not seeing it after I walk out of my office on Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then I don't turn that email on again until I'm ready to work on Monday morning. Same mm-hmm. with the, the business phone line. I don't answer it on the weekend. I just turn it to do not disturb. So I don't even, you know, I, if something's happening, it's happening. But I'm not mm-hmm. handling any installations at this point where I need to be on call. So, you know, for those people who are working with projects being installed, they have to you know, be available. I don't. I structured my business in such a way that I'm consulting for clients, but I'm not managing projects. So with your wellness design consultancy, Mm -hmm. you're also, so you're not just saying this is, you need to declutter, which is very overly simplify what you do, but you're actually doing full design of kitchens and everything in terms of layout of homes. Is that correct? I'm not at this point. I have in the past. But I will look at someone's floor plan who is planning a remodel Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about materials. We'll talk about storage. We'll talk about appliances. I'll make suggestions on types of appliances and what format they could be in, uh, placements for them, what types of countertop materials are going to be the most family friendly, low maintenance, things along those lines, what type of flooring to consider, uh, mm-hmm. what types of organizers they might want in their in their cabinets, what type of zoning. Some people mm-hmm. love to bake, for example, or do juicing. And how do you set up a zone for that within a kitchen layout? So things mm-hmm. along that line. Okay. Decluttering is something that you would think would be simple, but it's something mm-hmm. that seems to persist for so many people. And I'm one of those people, I find it, you know, because historically, whenever I've gone, I won't need that. I haven't used it for a year. As soon as I throw it out, I need it. I'm like, ah. So, uh, mate, you've inspired me to have a look at the kitchen this weekend now. And uh, Even for those of us on the professional side, sometimes it helps to have another set of eyes come in. I had my garage reorganized last weekend because I kept procrastinating on it. Yeah, And the part that was related to my fitness gear, that was in pretty decent shape. But things like old bank statements and, you know, administrative things, that had gotten a little woolly. So having someone come in at a certain time meant it was going to get done. Mm. And boy, I Mm. couldn't be happier. People underestimate the happy quotient you can get from an organized garage (laughs) every time you come home. (laughs) So when you probably when you're doing your workout as well, you'll see this organized garage and be like, "Oh, it's so pretty." <laughs> well, right, right now my living room is doing double duty as my fitness space. My gym closed last March. It has reopened and closed a couple of times since then because of the COVID. But I really like mm-hmm. working out at home. I found. Why is that? Because a lot of people feel that they need to get out of the home. I do that um, on my rucks and my hikes. When we mm-hmm. wrap up our conversation, I'm going to mm-hmm. strap on my ruck 
my rucksack mm-hmm. and I'm going to hit the neighborhood hills for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a socially distance with a book club friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So, but so I get all the outdoor, you know, with the rucking and the hiking, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's really nice on a rainy evening, say. I do two strength training workouts a week, and I do them in my living room with bands and weights and a cushion mat. And sometimes I do them with a friend via Facebook Messenger video. We're doing the same workout. She's in Canada. I'm here. But that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Zoom, zoom by zoom by yeah. workout by zoom rather. Well, when, when the gyms closed down was when I was still thinking I was going to go to Kilimanjaro in 2020. Mm. And I had a gym workout that was designed for training for Kili. Mm. And suddenly I couldn't use it anymore. So I said to, I said on Facebook to the trainers, I know I need one of you to adapt my gym workout to a home workout. So I can keep doing this, even though the gym's closed. Mm -hmm. And a wonderful friend of mine who's also an endurance athlete and distance hiker said, I will do it. And I've been using his programs ever since. It's like custom training sessions for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So I don't have a desire to go back to a gym. So that's it for you now? You'll just do it from home? You know, I... I'm not saying I'm never going to go back to a gym, but mm. most of my workouts are going to be at home. It's good. Save you money. <laughs> now, Jamie, how do people get onto you for your design, your wellness design business? What's the, what's the best way for them to access you? Uh, well, for people who like social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as JG Wellness Design. For those who like uh, websites, I'm at jamiegold.net. And it's important .net because .com is a poker player, so you're going to get different tips there <laughs> than you are at my site. He's <laughs> driving business to the poker player now. <laughs> well, that's okay. I actually did, I actually did a, a, a article on creating a healthier poker room. Ah. Why the heck not, right? You can't beat them, join them. <laughs> so I've got a website at jamiegold.net with a weekly design blog. And mm-hmm. so people can subscribe to that. And information about my book, which is available in Australia, by the way. Terrific. You can get it through Amazon Terrific. Australia. And that's called What's Wellness, the name of that again? Wellness by Design. Okay. Simon & Schuster uh, has a wellness brand that published it. And people can go to my homepage and take a a five facets of wellness design quiz and see how optimized your home is for your health. And that's right there on that homepage. I'm going to be doing that now. I, I never share anyone's email terrible. address. There's no, <laughs> you know, never selling anything, never sharing anything. Just, no, I hadn't thought about that. Terrific. Well, I'll be jumping on and doing the uh, quiz now. I can guarantee you it's – I'm going to be coming up – what's it? Does it give you a score or something out of 10? How does it well, rank? Well, you in? would score yourself. You'll put in your name and email address. It'll give you the quiz to answer mm-hmm. questions on your own. And then, you know, depending on your right-wrong answers, depending on how optimized your home is. I'll be failing it, I can guarantee oh, you. I bet you won't. <laughs> and you're, you're going to have to let me know. I will. Now now you're going to have to let me know that. (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. Enjoy your arc. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. (laughs) Pleasure chatting with you. And with you. 
Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 